If you're a parent, you've probably noticed the world is moving pretty fast and its ideas are moving right along with it. And if you're like me, you might not be too happy about some of those ideas, especially when you realize they're being forced on our kids at an extremely young age. So what can we do about that? That's an important question given that we as parents are ultimately responsible for raising our children. Talking to our little ones is a great place to start and reading to them is a great way to promote discussion. That brings me to a vital resource I want you to be aware of. It's a picture book for readers aged 4 through 9, which introduces the topic of compelled speech to children. Ollie Adamson's Strawberries Are Red, a story about compelled speech, gently introduces this topic and is sure to encourage great discussion between you and your little one. Freedom of speech is essential, and our children should be made aware of this. This book is available on Amazon, and I encourage you to order your copy today. We owe it to our kids. What's going on, everybody? Welcome to another episode of the Clean Libertarian Podcast. Hope that you guys are having a great weekend or week whenever you're listening to this. I know I am on the tail end of having uh, my daughter's 13th birthday party. Guys, she's a teenager now. What the hell, man? She's getting old. Like, we've talked about this. I was like, hey, you're not allowed to get older, but she just didn't listen. It keeps happening. But um, it's a blessing, man. It's a blessing to be... Uh, present and accounted for. It's a blessing to be able to have the type of home to where, you know, she can bring some friends over and they can have a fun time. And, and it was cool. They had a friends, you know, like the sitcom friends themed birthday party. Uh, they just, they had a blast and it was cool to see. And so I'm blessed, right? I'm, I'm living the good life over here. And uh, man, I, I got a really solid conversation lined up for y'all today. This is my friend uh, Gilly the Kid from Twitter. Uh, this is somebody I've gotten to know over, you know, past couple of years or so. And this is someone who I identify with. We get to talk a lot about dual diagnosis and struggling with mental health while also having, you know, substance abuse issues and um, fighting through that because, you know, that is a very difficult type of thing to navigate. And so there's a lot of points that we we were able to discuss that I'm glad that we did because I don't necessarily think I've been able to do that yet. So um, if that's something that piques your interest, you're you're in for a treat. Uh, you know, there's this is one of the more gut level honest episodes that I've ever done. And I'm so grateful for it, man. And uh, I know you guys are going to enjoy it, too. So without any further ado, here is Gilly. So, yeah. Welcome. Glad you're here. It's great to be here, man. Yeah. Great to be here. Nice night. I've been looking forward to this, man, because, you know, you and I got, I, I'm so grateful the circle that I've, you know, been able to build in my own life. And I'm grateful that you're a part of that. And, man, I identify because you and I have been talking for a while, you know. Um, mm-hmm. And I've got to see you kind of like rise and fall and rise again. And, I identify so much with a lot of parts of your story and that's why I wanted to have you on, man. It's cause there's, there's some tough topics that are out there, you know? Oh yeah, for sure. For sure. Some tough topics. Um, and I, get... I, I, I'm sorry. I didn't mean to cut you off. No, go ahead. But, um, but yeah, like I, 
I remember like the first time we talked uh, on the phone, like just immediately just like vibing with you and like, like felt like long lost brothers or whatever, you know, yeah. like, and, um, good. And, um, especially, uh, like the fellowship online and stuff. It's been, it's probably saved my life, you know, because I've been able to, uh, you know, say stuff to you and to other people that we're friends with that, um, especially when I had relapsed that, you know, I, I wasn't taking on my sponsor right then, you know? Yeah. There's something to be said about kind of having the shield of anonymity mm-hmm. in a sobriety, uh, an anonymous based sobriety group chat like we're in and being able to really get gut level honest because of that. Yeah. Definitely. You know what I'm saying? Um, fuck man. Like, Leading up to my to my relapse that I had, I've been around the room so long. Should I spoke at so many different meetings and like I developed this ego in my mind, and I could see clearly, like especially that 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 year leading up to it, where I stopped being honest about where I was at in meetings because I didn't want people to think that I wasn't working a program. Mm. You know what I'm saying? Like I I was sitting there and when the person with 30 days would share and there I am with like seven years, I would look at them and be like, they got it. And I don't, they figured it out and I'm never going to get it. Yeah, I definitely, I've, I've definitely, unfortunately I've learned, I've learned not to do it anymore, but been in that spot with, you know, significant amount of time and, you know, just not been in the right place and instead of talking about it you know I, I put like a shield up you know around me and you know just wanted to keep that hey I'm sober hey I'm you know doing this I'm doing service work I'm sharing meetings instead of really talking about what was going on you know yeah how have you um Let's let's get a little background on you, man. Like, yeah. how did you how did you initially find yourself uh, looking for recovery? I think I was um, um, well. I think the, the I think I had like my first drink of uh, it was like rum at a friend's house when I was like eleven, um, and I liked that. I liked the way it felt. It felt like a warm hug a bit. Yeah, and, um, and then um, when I turned like um, fourteen or whatever, seventh grade, uh, I had a brother that was three years older, so I started riding to school with him, and he was a real big um, pothead. And um, at the time, I was young, and you know, um, I, I wasn't feeling any of that. And uh, anyway, the the first day of like seventh grade uh him and this chick talked me into smoking and um i i was um i mean i was gone like he was like walking <laughs> me to like every class and he was, like just like you know call, yeah. call your you know, say you're say you're here for attendance and just like go to sleep and i'll come and get you <laughs> like you know like you'll be good awesome. you'll be good by lunch bro and uh but yeah and then um <clears throat> I guess, I guess it's started like that. And then, um, I eventually found like, 
like one of my true loves was like opiates, you know, because mm. it's feeling like that warm alcohol in my stomach. It felt a bit like a hug, but that opiate, that that warmth and everything and comfort, like I, I just fell in love immediately and um, just started like I started drinking like lean or, or cough syrup. And um, I had older friends that, you know, were hitting, hitting up pain doctors and stuff. And my problem was because my brother was older, I had access to all these older people. And um, so I, I was, I think I was like 50. No, I was 16. And uh, my best friend I grew up with, um, I got a call one night, and um, it was my other buddy, and he said, uh, hey, um, you know, S- Steven's dead, man. Mm. And, I, and, and I couldn't, you know, like, I, it didn't process. And, um, and I had just talked to him the day before because he had just gotten out of one of those, like, uh, like uh, nature treatment places where they take you out in the woods and, you know, tell you yeah. to do what you're supposed to do or you're going to starve or freeze to death or whatever. Yeah. And um, he was on testing and I was like, oh, man, you're good. Just just drink, man. Just don't do any drugs and you'll get off the test and you'll be fine, you know. And um, I think I even helped him get booze that day. But um, anyway, he was uh, he was out with some friends and um, uh, he was driving and uh, the the truck rolled over. He didn't have on a seatbelt and um, he, he was pretty much cut in half in between the truck and the guardrail. Um, and it was, yeah, it was right down the road from, um, from where I had several friends that lived and uh, close to the school I attended at the time. And um, when that happened, I think that was kind of like God. Uh, like knocking me in the head like yeah because after the funeral i was like maybe maybe i've gotten out of control you know because i was 16 and like if i wasn't smoking like every day before school you know i was popping tabs or uh drinking syrup or whatever and you know i was hanging around with older guys and like and and I honestly, I, I got scared. And um, I went at the time, I went to a, um, a preacher and um, I basically t- I talked to him and I was like, I think I might have a problem. And um, I ended up in like a, like a lockdown um, rehab unit <clears throat> and um, for think it was uh, 60 days and um looking back on it now like uh, little did i know uh, like that how much worse i could make it you know how, yeah you know how much worse <laughs> it would get you know yeah uh, they, the, those false bottoms man <laughs> you gotta yeah, look out for yeah, them exactly yeah but I, I after i got out of the meetings i actually I mean, after I got out of the treatment, I actually did stay sober. And at the time I was going to NA meetings and, um, 
I, I picked up uh no i picked up a year chip at na and um then uh i turned 21 and like everything like i just i quit going to meetings and stuff because i was like well like i didn't use drugs for a year you know like you know so i guess i'm i guess i'm good you know yeah and um <clears throat> i went on about in the world and i guess the only thing that really saved my life is um you know i'm i'm from the south like deep south and uh I grew up right outside of birmingham all white neighborhood all white church you know um uh, middle class family. My dad was a business owner. Um, he he was actually you know worth quite a bit of money, but he he refused to let us like live above like middle class uh, because he just didn't think it would be good for us uh, for anybody. And um, anyway. Um, at, at age uh, 21, um, I had been um, just mainly fucking around, um, getting high, drinking, uh, mainly just smoking uh, weed and drinking. And uh, I was doing plumbing work with my brother. He was a master plumber. And um, I decided that um, I wanted to, like, see the, the country. And... Um, mm -hmm. I got a job and I shipped off to Charlotte, North Carolina. And that was the first time that I had been like, you know, past the Mason Dixon line, you know, <laughs> like, yeah. uh, and, um, it took, um, like, it was a shock to my senses, you know, like, cause I, I wasn't used to being around like, you know, all different kinds of people, <clears throat> whether that's gay, straight or, black or, or or whatever and um I, I was there for eight weeks and then i came home and then i went back out on the road and um it was like culture shock but it was good because like i got to experience uh different you know religions um different races uh see how people lived like and I thought I'd seen poor people before, you know, Yeah. but when I, when I really started traveling and stuff, like I realized like, you know, I hadn't really seen shit like staying in, you know, down South, like where I was, like my eyes were like closed to, to how the country really is, you know? And, um, but that was, um, that was the only thing that really kept me sober because uh, we were constantly drug tested, uh, constantly breathalyzed, um, and it was good for me and, uh, the money was good. And so I got no complaints and I got to see a lot of beautiful places and met a lot of beautiful people. Uh, so yeah. Hell yeah, man. I, I, I'll tell you one thing for all the damage that, drugs did for me they also it also is the only reason i'm a social person today yeah like you know what i'm saying like uh it's wild how that works man it's wild how that i don't know like i never 
felt like I fit in, man. But but the drugs, you know, kind of helped with that. It gave me that social lubricant. Yeah, I, I just remember, you know, like, I just remember everything being normal when I was growing up. Like, um, like just normal middle class family. You know, my dad, he was gone usually around 12, 14 hours a day run, running a company. So my mom was the enforcer and um, everything like that. But um, I remember, I think around like sixth grade, even though I was had friends and stuff and uh, I was, I was like, I guess popular, um, a bit of a, you know, class clown, a cut up or whatever. But um, I remember just feeling different inside, you know? Yeah. yeah. And then um, at the, uh, my mom had me and my brother in church Sunday morning, Sunday night, and Wednesday night. And um, uh, when I was around 11, my parents were celebrating the anniversary. And um, there was another uh, church family that they were friends with that had kids my age. And um, one was one year older, and the other one was like one year younger than me. And uh, <clears throat> they left me at uh, their house for the weekend and my brother was like i think almost 16 so he got to stay at his friend's house and party and do cool stuff and and i'm meanwhile i'm stuck at like some bluegrass uh, fair like in the like bum fucked alabama like somewhere and it was horrible i mean it was really bad and um I thought, man, you know, this weekend will be over soon and I'll be back home and it'll be better. And um, because the guy, the father, he was a he was a sheriff and um, he was real, you know, real, real strict with the with the kids. And like uh, I noticed, like I had to watch my P's and Q's because I wasn't used to somebody being that strict and like that just weird about everything yeah. and then um <clears throat> like uh we came in from, from like a that bluegrass thing uh it was like an all-day event and we came in and uh that night um uh like everybody like was going to bed and he, he you know he was a cop and he was like hey um why don't you come down here? And he's like, I and he was educating me about drugs and drug use and showing me pictures of, you know, what marijuana looked like and all this other stuff. And the next thing I know, you know, you know, I'm being, um, sodomized by him. And, wow. um, I found out like a year later, um, he was doing it to both of, um, his stepkids as well. Because I always like wondered when they got away from him, uh, I would bring up his name, and they would be like, oh, "He's a, he's he's a bump, he's just a piece of shit. I hate him." And I was like, "Golly, like man, they're like he's a, he's kind of a dick, but man, these 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 guys really hate him." And right. uh, like now I know why. Like um, and bless him, man, because 
I mean, whew, I, I, that that changed that that changed me a lot because you know I was right near the age of puberty. You know, I had an older brother, three years older. He was macho, like played football, like you know, loved to tell me about the women he was dating, hooking up with, and um, and and um, that messed me up uh, because it, it confused me about well. Does that make me gay? Uh, you know, right, or, right. and like, and like, uh, uh, you know, and, and stuff like that. And so, I think at that point, like, I really like dove into. I was pretty much open for anything as far as like, like uh, alcohol and drugs go. You know, um, it just, um, it just totally changed me. Yeah, man. I'm, you know, here's I had a similar experience. Yeah, I'm glad that you brought that up. And you know, we were kind of chatting about this before we started recording. But you know, thank God we live in a time now to where we can have these types of conversations a little bit more openly and not have to fear any kind of judgment on it. You know, because yeah. I, yeah, and I think and in the process of that, we're starting to find out that you know, shit like this has happened pretty. Mm -hmm wide scale i think you know we all know if not didn't happen personally to us we all know somebody that it has happened to with me yeah. like i had a cousin man who you know crossed the line i mean he was a kid too he was a minor but it was a not okay thing and i remember telling my my mom and my aunt my grandma about it and they're just like oh boys will be boys you know like it was not taken seriously but like that fucked with my head that fucked with my head bad, you know, and, and even into my um, adult life, like I, I struggled with, well, am I gay? Am I bi? Like what, you know, it didn't, there was a lot there to unpack, you know, and thank God that, you know, we get to the place to where we can unpack that. And thank God we stumbled upon a program that can kind of unfuck some of that cluster that's in our mind on some of this stuff. But man. Yeah, for sure. You want to talk about isolation. You know, like that is that kept. I don't know about you, but it certainly kept me. You know, in, in a spot where I felt like I couldn't really talk about it for a long yeah, time. The, not only you couldn't really talk about it to anybody, but in that day and age, like you didn't want anybody to find out about it, of course. Mm -hmm. And like just the whole stigma, because I know, like where I was, where I was living, and where I went to school, like it wasn't cool to be gay or trans or bi or anything like that you know no. like, yeah was, um, like all that was like frowned upon uh so heavily um, but i mean luckily you know I, you know as i got older and more mature and i had control of the situation i was able to like explore some of that and i realized like you know what i am you know and yeah. um and I was able to sort it, you know, but, um, you know, I, I had, to, I had to be sure, you know? Um, yeah. So it just is what it is. Absolutely, man. So whenever you were, um, when, when did you really start having, cause you know, one of the, one of the things that you and I share some commonality on is kind of being dual diagnosis. Um, like when did you start seeing 
you know, mental health becoming an issue for yourself? I think um, it started kicking up around age 14. And by like age 15, like um, it got to the point where, um, you know, because I was always clowning in class. Um, what, and I didn't know it, but at the time I was getting, I was going into manic stages. And um, so I was like the class clown. And um, also uh, with the mania, like I was really quick and prone to violence and stuff. So like um, it didn't take much no matter if we were sitting in class and the teacher was there, like I would, you know, straight up punch somebody, you know, and, 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 and try to kick the shit out of them. Um, and I think, I think the, what the incident that happened was, uh, I was around 15 and, my mom had decided that public school was bad because my brother was uh, involved in a lot of drugs and other stuff. And they put me in a private Christian school. And, um, uh, when I first started going there, like I went from public school to like all the girls had had dresses on below their knees, like, uh, during like, uh, physical education they wore culottes which is like like basically like guy cargo shorts you know like uh, so like it, it was just like it was weird to me so i stayed kind of quiet and kept to myself uh but uh there was this one uh, ki uh kid and um he uh he picked at me a couple times and um one day I know my mom had came up there to drop off uh, some meds, an antibiotic or something I was supposed to take after lunch. And he saw her and um, somebody came to me and said, hey, um, this kid said your mom is uh, looks like a fat uh, dyke bitch. And um, oh, it's on. Yeah. And yeah. Um, so later that day I was in the bathroom and him and his butt. Uh, two buddies came in there and he, he started popping off of the mouth and I was like, man, I'm about to like, you know, like you really don't want this smoke, man. I'm about to, I'm about to hurt you. And, um, I finished pissing and just turned around and lunged towards him. And he ran out of the bathroom cause his buddy was standing there and kind of cock blocked me, uh, the way there. And uh, I followed him out of the bathroom and he ran up the stairwell towards the classes. And there was a teacher coming down the steps. And I just walked calmly up the steps. He was standing right beside her and just like picked him up and threw him down the steps. Mm. And um, just and at the time I was wearing Doc Martens. So I, I was just boot stomping him like um, you know, kicking him in the ribs and I think I yeah I bent down a couple of times and uh, I punched him two or three times in the face and like there's just like all these um, 
like all these Christian kids that have never <laughs> seen a fight, like all these like Christian school teachers <laughs> that like probably never even seen like anything violent like that. Yeah. And like, I remember the, it's the teacher got up from where she was eating and just came over there and just like beside us and just started just screaming out loud. Like <laughs> she was like, somebody was being murdered. And yeah. so like, yeah, that happened. And, um, anyway, it just, um, after that, um, I got, of course I got sent home. The kid had to go to the hospital. He had bruised ribs and uh, broken nose and stuff. And uh, my family paid his copay and stuff and hoped he, he didn't sue and everything. And But uh, the principal did tell my dad that the, the, the kid was an asshole and was always causing problems. So, yeah. But um, after that, uh, my mom took me to a psychiatrist and um at first the psychiatrist said well i'm pretty pretty sure he suffers from depression but he might be bipolar and um you know i didn't know what that meant uh, but it didn't sound good and um and from there you know i started taking an antidepressant and um and uh, the whole thing with the cycling of the bipolar, like going from manic to depressive, it, it just got worse and worse. Like where I would just stay awake for days at a time. And I was, I was like self-medicating with alcohol and pills and stuff. And finally, like she took me to another psychiatrist and, and he, um, diagnosed me as bipolar and um it just it went like that and i think uh i, I think it was diagnosed like four or five times by different doctors as bipolar and me being me like after i had read about it and stuff even though i clearly had the symptoms and signs of it like i refused to accept it you know oh yeah yeah. I just, I couldn't comprehend that. No, man, I'm not, I'm not like one of these, like, like freaks. Like, it's, <laughs> it's, you know, so like, yeah. so fast forward, uh, I'm in a psychiatrist's office and like, he's like looking me up and down and, and he asked me, so, uh, what do you think the problem is? I mean, what do you think is wrong with you mentally? And um, by that point, I had, you know, it was like a tornado, like I had left behind me, like, and by that point, I had called a trafficking charge, because um, I got manic and decided that I was going to be the Oxycontin kingpin of the South. And um, uh, we started... uh, busting prescriptions all over and just and anyway I ended up getting a trafficking charge and so the psychiatrist is asking me what do you think's wrong and um, I said you know I'm starting to believe that I might be bipolar and um, 
<laughs> this, this doctor yeah. looked at me. He just like, looked at me like in disgust and was like, you think so? Like, you think so? Because I noticed on your charts, you've been to like four or five different doctors and they've all said the same thing. And they all said you need to be taking lithium. Have you been taking your lithium? And I was like, no, I don't like it. And he was like, well, what are you willing to take the lithium? And by that point, I was in so much legal trouble and everything else. I was like, okay, I'm going to give it a go. Uh, I guess I'm bipolar, but I still didn't, I didn't tell people really, you know, I just took my medicine and went on about life. But, um, yeah, it was, um, it was crazy that it took that much, you know, for me to realize that I had a, you know, an, you know, imbalance or an imperfection or whatever. It's like, it's like looking at character defects now in recovery. Mm-hmm. Like, um, I, I couldn't see it, uh, until it just like smacked me right in the face, you know, and like humbled me a bit. So, yeah. Well, I mean, I come from a very similar, it's crazy how many parallels there are for us. Although like, you know, I never had any kind of popularity. I was always the outcast, man. I did not have any friends, but you know, my parents were sending me these fucking doctors and they kept trying to label me with these different diagnoses. Uh, bipolar got brought up a lot, definitely ADD, ADHD. Um, and I just, I remember, I remember getting on the pills, um, all the different antidepressants and stuff like that. And it was like, a uh, like a filter for my brain. I don't know how else to describe it than that. Like all my natural feelings were placed through this filter. And and so the feelings ended up all being synthetic, whether it was happy, whether it was sad, whether it was angry, it was like not the feelings I was used to having. And I hated it. Yeah, um, it kind of, it kind of numbs you a bit, you know? Yeah, man. Like, but not in a good, not in a good way. No. You know? And so I think that's kind of like, like, folks like us are drawn to the narcotics is because it's such a cathartic experience. Uh, it's very vivid. It's very real, you know, like those highs are very high, you know, and, and um, it's a real feeling and it's almost the way, like we couldn't, and I, I don't want to speak for you. So forgive me. Um, I couldn't control how I felt. And what I did with those emotions, but I could control if I put this substance in my body, I will no longer feel feeling A, but instead will feel feeling B. Exactly. Exactly. And it's like that when I like, and you hit it on the head, like during the day, it was like opiates and like cannabis and maybe a little alcohol to keep me like, you know, from being too manic. Then at night, it was like a, you know, a half a bar or a bar so I could sleep, you know, like Mm -hmm. it was definitely self-medication to, you know, begin with. Um, And because like you talking about taking the medicine, like I I just felt numb. Like I could see something like something bad could happen. And I would just be like, well, you know, everything's going to be okay, I guess. You know, I just, (laughs) I, I just, I, I felt like a really like passive zombie. 
Man. Yes. You know? Yeah. So like excellent I, way to put it, man. So I started like, you know, like, and it got to the point where my mom wanted to see me take the pill, you know, and all this stuff, like, cause you know, all the trouble and stuff I'd been through. And, um, anyway, I got to where like, I would you know, like minimize the dose, you know, so I could have a little bit of that, you know, but yeah, uh, but yeah, I, I was just constantly mixing and matching and, uh, you know, trying to come up with a perfect recipe, you know, like, it was like that for a real long time until, you know, I, I, I caught a trafficking charge and I realized that um, uh, I was never going to be the Oxycontin kingpin of the South. Uh, Damn it. And um, <laughs> I needed to move on from that, you know, yeah. so, uh, yeah. So let's, uh, let's fast forward a bit, man. You, you know, you found some recovery. What did that look like? Like, what, what was the aha moment for you? Hmm. You know, I, I don't, I, I don't really think I ever had, I've only had one. And, um, you know, I had to retire um, from er, early from work as a truck driver. Uh, due to a, sp- a severe spinal injury and a uh, foot injury. And, um, and after I, shortly after I retired, uh, my father became like ill, like a shut in. So I had my own place, but I would pack a bag and go over there and take care of him and stuff. And, um, and, uh, Anyway, uh, I, I got him on some Rick Simpson oil and stuff and got him feeling better. And um, he could halfway function. And he went on like that for a while. And I went back to my townhouse to do, do my own thing, which at the time uh, I was still trafficking. Um, but this time it was Roxy's, you know. Um, oh, yeah. It's like I... I I, I liked that lifestyle. Like I liked the money and stuff. I didn't like the people I had to be around. And so I was strict, you know, like you got to buy this many at one time, you know, like to keep like scragglers and stuff away. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, not, no business at home. Like, I mean, this time I was smarter about it. Um, but, um, that that feeling of having like uh, of being the man of having the power and the control and the money and um you know the candy on your arm you know like uh, i like that like um it was like a different kind of high and um i i did that and <clears throat> shortly thereafter um my dad got even like a uh, sicker and um, I actually had to move in there and uh, take care of him full time until he passed away. And um, my mom wasn't able to because of her health. So I did it. And um, that's like, you know, a year of changing your father's diaper, you know, catheterizing them, um, 
you, you know, all that. And, um, and I got really bad PTSD from it. And, um, and after he passed away, I had, um, what happened was after he passed away, I had, um, gone to pick up, uh, an ounce of cannabis for myself, you know, for my pain. And, uh, just so happened, um, I ended up deciding to run an errand, uh, instead of just going straight back home. And I got popped with that. And, um, anyway, they, they took my vehicle and everything. And, um, by that point, like I got out of jail the next day, they, they took my money, like all that. And, um, because they could see, even though I got youthful offender on the first trafficking charge, uh, they knew they, they wanted to punish me hard. So they mm-hmm. did. Um, and by that point, all I had left was like a motorcycle. And, um, I honestly, you know, I'd gotten rid of my townhouse because my dad was sick. So I, I didn't, didn't have a place to stay. Um, so I started living, um, like, um, out in an undesirable area with this, uh, chick and, um, she worked all the time, was never at home. And all I did was like sit around and feel bad about my dad dying and feel bad. Like, you know, I was having night terrors, like, and from, from all the PTSD, you know, and, and seeing him die and everything like, and, um, uh, but you know, I'm stubborn and I'm me. So I, I wasn't, I wasn't, I, I wanted to change, but it had to be like on my own terms, you know? Yeah. So I'm, I'm basically, I'm living in like filth and, um, you know, this house was built right after the civil war, you know, uh, it, it, it came straight out of to kill a mockingbird, you know, it's like that old, um, and she's always the chick was always gone and she didn't care what i did she just said like no no drug sales from the house you know so i sat there and i did a whole lot of nothing and uh eventually i started growing psilocybin mushrooms and um i was started was growing huge tubfuls and as I was microdosing every day, it was off all my medications, like for bipolar and everything. And um, I became convinced that that was what I needed at the time. And at the time, it it was what I needed. Uh, so I would microdose every day, and then um, like uh, trip hard on the weekend. And um, eventually, like after doing that for probably six months, like, uh, I tripped one night and it, I, I, I don't know how to describe it, but it's like my third eye open and I could see the path that I was supposed to be on and I needed to be on. And then I could see that I was off of it. And like, 
it's just like I had this mantra that I, I'm going to put myself back on that path where I need to be, where I can help myself and help others, you know, like, and um, so at that point, like I stopped all, all the psilocybin use and um, I got a very good psychiatrist and um, I started going to see him and went through everything with him. And, um, he, um, he helped save my life, um, because shortly after my dad died, um, my brother, uh, he was very successful, like master plumber, gas fitter, medical gas, like all that, um, you know, nice place to live, plenty of money, just, um, I mean, you would think just ha has what everybody wants, you know, and um, he just one night he, he took his favorite rifle, which was a Colt Bushmaster AR-15, and um, he took it in the bathroom and uh, he shot himself. Mm -hmm. And um, I didn't know. Uh, he didn't leave a note or anything like that. But uh, I did find out that like a month before that, he had made changes to his insurance plan uh, so his daughter would get everything and uh, his girlfriend that was living there got nothing. And I also found it strange. And if I hadn't been so far out of it, like on a different wavelength of reality, because, I, you know, I have a just psilocybin flowing through my body constantly right uh but he called me over and he was like one of these people that you know didn't just want to hang out to hang out and didn't want to talk about feelings and stuff like that and one night he called me over i went to his place and he was like look man we're gonna eat whatever you want to eat tonight uh, you know we'll get we'll get it brought to us doordash whatever like, let's, let's like have a drink. And he's like, I was sending uh, what's her name, you know, out. And we were sitting there just talking and having a chat. And, um, he just like, he just like looked at me and it, he's, he almost started crying. And he was like, I, I just want to tell you, I love you, man. And I'm so sorry for some of the things I did growing up. And I, I was just like, bro, it's okay, man. Like, I love you too, man. And it's like, I, I love you. It's, it's all, it's, it's all good. Everything's okay. And he goes, but seriously, you're really going to have to straighten out, man. And, um, which was weird because he never, he would never criticize me, you know, because he had done his fair share of uh, crazy stuff too. And, um, but anyway, I didn't realize that. I guess that was his way of telling me goodbye, you know. Yeah. Um, but between my dad and my brother, like, um, you know, I was in a funk. And, um, and after I had that spiritual experience uh, with the mushrooms, uh, I was determined that I was down, but I wasn't out. And that I was going to get back on that path. And I got a new psychiatrist and um, I 
told him, got deadly honest for the first time. Man, it's sad, you know, that it's the first time I've ever been honest with a psychiatrist, really. And um, I got on some medicine that actually helped me, you know, and um, uh, he got me off the lithium and everything. And like, uh, I just started doing so much better. And as I started doing better, you know, and after, uh, you know, taking so much psilocybin, like, uh, I, uh, I couldn't even smoke cigarettes anymore. I don't know. Like, it made me to where I, I used to smoke, like, a pack and a half a day. Like, then after I did all that psilocybin for months, like, I couldn't even smell cigarettes. It made me sick. And um, <clears throat> so I went to the psychiatrist, and I started doing better. And um, I ended up moving in uh, with uh, with a woman uh, because she saw that I was, uh, you know, getting my shit together finally. And um, that's what brought me back into the rooms, um, living there, but also wanting to have like my own spot where away, like a meeting, you know, the fellowship where I could talk about what's going on with me, you know, and um, that's when I started going back to AA meetings. So right and, on, man. Yeah. And um, and it's like it's weird because, um, you know, I, between working, you know, and, and traveling all over, you know, I got back in the rooms and I, I saw some people that I used to see, you know, years and years and years ago and saw a lot of new people and then i heard about everybody that died you know whether by a bottle or by cancer or whatever and um it felt it felt good getting back into recovery but it's like i couldn't i couldn't fully invest myself in it yet i don't know it's like i had a hang-up about it and um, finally, I, I got a sponsor that I felt comfortable with. And, um, you know, I got a home group and and it was um, that's pretty much how it started again. And um, I did I did really, really well for about eight months. And then um, I ended up moving out of the woman's house. Um, because of differences of opinion and stuff and like you know i like the solitude of driving the truck and being alone so like i wanted my own place and um so i ended up moving out and you know it just took a couple of bad things happening uh which in my case was my mom stealing my trust fund uh, mm. stealing property that was in my name uh, still in my cemetery plot and selling it. Uh, it was just, uh, it was a resentment, man. It drove me right back to the bottle, man. And it was a bad relapse. And um, I'm, I'm, I'm grateful and lucky to be alive. Uh, and, um, you know, I just, I would still, I would come to the meetings sometimes drunk. And, uh, you know, I would walk up to my sponsor. I'd be like, Hey, I'm here. 
Yeah, but I'm drunk, you know, when I'm trying. He was like, no shit. I know you're drunk, bro, you know. <laughs> but, I, but um, yeah. you know, it's like I was like I was I was trying. And um, eventually um, it just it got to the point where um, it started clicking. And um, I, I, I think I picked up 90 days. And um, and I got I was a relapse king. Um, Same. A lot, a lot a lot of that was was the like the dual diagnosis, and a lot of that was you know other things. But uh, I really had to go back and put my mind on that spiritual experience that I had that showed me that like there was a higher power and that there was a path that I was supposed to be on but I was nowhere near that path. Like I was in the woods somewhere, you know what I'm saying? Like yeah. I wasn't on that road that I needed to be on. And um, so finally one night I was, I was, or one afternoon I called the treatment center and they were like, Hey, we've got one bed available. If you want it, you need to call us back within an hour. And I was like, no, I'm not calling back. Like put me down for the bed right now. So they did. And um, I started packing. I called my sponsor, and I hadn't been to a meeting in I don't know a month or so. And um, and I said, "Hey," and he, he was like, "Hey," he was like, "You're drunk." And I was like, "Yep." And um, I said, "Can you do me a favor and please don't feel like you have to be obligated to do it?" He was like, "What's that?" And I was like, "Can you take me to detox at the treatment center?" And he said, I would be more than happy to do that. And um, he said, let me grab a shower. And I said, well, good, because I haven't even packed yet. And, um, you know, like I, I threw stuff together. You know, I, I didn't pack worth of shit. And once I got there, I realized I had left um, pretty much almost everything I needed, you know, at home. But, um, you know, on the way there, me and him talked and... Um, he was asking me, you know, what, you know, how did this come about? And I told him, I was like, you know, this is like my last chance. Like, I've got to get it. And I've got to get to the road that I need to be on, man. Like, and um, I'm talking about that spiritual experience. And um, we were like about 10 miles away from the center. And, um, he was like, it's going to take them about five hours to process you in. And uh, he was like, if you want, if you need a drink, like I'll stop, but you just gonna have to drink in the parking lot. And I was like, yeah, I'll get one last bottle. And he stopped and I went and got like uh, cigarettes and nicotine pouches. Uh, Cause I knew I needed them uh, for treatment. And, um, and got a and my last pint of vodka and uh, just straight up killed it in the parking lot and people were just kind of staring at me and uh, but at the time I didn't care no, <laughs> but, uh, no. Yeah. And, uh, he took me um, he took me to the treatment center and um, he um, basically helped me get checked in because like by that point I was blacked out and uh, I was like um, telling the, the the 
intake lady, like, how beautiful and thick she was and like uh you know shit hell yeah but uh yeah he helped he he helped get me in and um and when i got in there and and um started detoxing and it's like the fog came the fog came off my head and like i've read the big book a million times and not a million but a lot and um same way with the na book but i noticed like it was really really making more and more and more and more sense like like i almost like fell in love with it you know yeah and um i knew um and like i said i this was this this is my last chance my last go i don't I don't think I got another relapse left in me. Um, so I, I applied myself while I was there, took in as much knowledge as possible. You know, I was like uh, co-chair in the cottages because like nobody there had knowledge of the big book or any of that other stuff. So I did it and um, it was um, it was painful, you know, especially being in chronic pain and uh, being there and getting my meds adjusted and all that. But like once all that happened, man, like <clears throat> I, I became convinced and I'm still convinced that like uh, I'm, I'm back on the road now, you know, at least I'm Fuck back yeah. on the road. I'm pointing in the right direction this time. And uh, that's all I have to do is stay on that road. And, uh, so yeah, that's, that's basically how it clicked. And this time it's been, it's, it's been totally different, man. And I've been surrounded by a home group and a fellowship that I truly like do love and like, um, you know, and like, I, I love and care for my sponsor, you know, he's not my, you know, uh, he's not my, my finance, my, my finance guy or you know my football friend or whatever me and him we do meetings together and we do step work and we talk about staying sober you know yeah um, and he's like he's old school and uh, that's what i need you know that's not for everybody but that's what i need because yeah. like um i i really do feel like this is like my last go and um by the grace of God, I picked up a 30-day chip um, the other night. Fuck and, yeah. Uh, and I'm pretty sure that I'm going to be chairing meetings in the home group on Friday um, real soon. So I'm just um, I've just delved back into service work because, you know, it takes me out of myself, my own selfish shit, and, um, and I enjoy it. And I also like to help newcomers and meet newcomers and stuff. But, you know, at the meetings, like I hang around the people that have time sober, you know, like, um, and outside the meetings as well, uh, you know, newcomers, I, that's cool. But I, I just, now I just don't, I don't, hang out with newcomers like outside meetings or anything like that uh 
I just have to do things differently because I've learned from my past mistakes, you know, uh, the 13th step never helped me. Nope. <laughs> and, uh, nope. it's, got, it's gotten me drunk and uh, messed up a lot. So, um, yeah, I'm very careful these days. Fun little fact, man. Back when, uh, back when Narcotics Anonymous was first starting, they actually did have 13 steps. And the thirteenth, <laughs> the thirteenth step was God help us. <laughs> Funny, fun little history lesson there, man. <laughs> kind of wild that it's taking on a different meeting now. Uh, I, did, I had no clue. I had, I really didn't. And I, I, I think I went to my first NA meeting when I was like, uh, like fifteen or sixteen. So, and I'm uh, in my forties now. So. Uh, yeah, I had no idea about that. Yeah. I mean, that's that old, old school, man. That's like back in the 50s, you know. Um, man, I am so fucking proud of you, man. Um, I'm so blessed and fortunate to have people like you in my life that I can celebrate the victories and, uh, you know, be there, be there in the not so great moments, too, you know, for, for both of us, man. And it's a blessing, man. Iron sharpens iron, you know, like that's yeah. uh, a term that, you know, a couple, uh, one of my brothers, my sponsee brothers always says, it's like, man, stay in the boat, just get in the fucking boat and everything will work out. Um, one thing yeah. I did want to ask you about is with the mental health issues with that stuff, like, what do you, what steps are you taking to take care of that part? of your physical or your well-being well like that's very important and i found now now that i've gotten older my psychiatrist that actually is a, is a good good psychiatrist um he took me off the lithium he's like you don't need anything to like hold you down anymore like you're you're older now you've changed like you're going in more depressive like sides of it and he was like, some people never do, you know, some people will get older and still do the mania and everything, but I, I don't. And um, so it's important that I have a, a good relationship with him and I keep my appointments and uh, take my medication as prescribed. Uh, I don't, uh, don't do any mixing and matching anymore as far as that goes. And um, I've also, you know, found that, you know, the every morning, the waking up, the coffee and the, the routine too. like I have to stick to a routine where I wake up, I have coffee, uh, I meditate, I pray, uh, I read the daily ref uh, reflection, uh, quick inventory check. Uh, that way I can apologize if I need to apologize to somebody or or whatever. And like I found that routine. And that's another thing too about detox and treatment is like I found that you know, what well, if I'm going to stay sober, I've got to keep this routine going. You know yeah. what I'm saying? Like yeah. uh, I can't uh, I can't sleep 14 hours at a time anymore. You know, like I've got to keep a healthy routine. So, that's... but uh, and I <clears throat> I was also going to say like outside the fellowship of AA, just like being online and uh, 
knowing people online that are sober and having like an extended network, you know, like I said, that's, you know, that's one thing that made me want to, you know, go back, detox and and go to treatment. And because like, uh, you know, you see what other people have and you want it. I, I, I do as far as sobriety goes and like, you know, I, I knew things could be so much better because I've experienced it before, but I couldn't get that, you know, I'd pickle, pickle my brain temporarily. So I had to get that fog off of it before. So um, the extended network uh, online has helped as well, you know, so. Yeah. It's just a lot of things, really. So, Man, this has been a... Uh... This has been a conversation that I am thoroughly glad that we had. I'm glad that you took time out of your day to, to hang out with me, man. Um, yeah, there's a lot there. I'm glad that we covered the ground that we did. Yeah, it's been it's been it's been great. Um, I was a little nervous um, I, back in the day. I, I would do I would speak at meetings sometimes or, or treatment centers, uh, but. Um, you know, now the story is different, but um, it's, I appreciate the opportunity to, to come on here. And, um, you know, I, I sincerely hope that somebody listening to this, like, get something out of it. And, like, trust me, it's like with my dual diagnosis, the bipolar, you know, the PTSD, my dad's death, my brother's death, you know my friend got murdered, you know, my other, other friend overdosed. Like if I can get through all that, you know, and get sobriety, you know, like I feel like anybody can, if they put forth the effort, you know? Yeah, um, for so. sure. Um, that brings us into the part that I always love, man. And I'm give you the, give anybody the opportunity who comes on and shares their story to reach out to that one member in the audience who was looking for a way out of addiction and uh, in the unique spot of being dual diagnosed like myself, like what would you say to somebody like us who, who just is struggling? I would say, you know, hang on, like, don't, don't be as like, don't be a statistic like my brother, you know, like, um, hang on there's people that love you and um you know you have to hang on and you have to reach out and i know it's hard especially when you're depressed or or, or you're, you're strung out or you you pickled your brain temporarily or whatever i know it's hard but you've got to reach out and uh reach out and get the help that you need and um, get that fog off your brain and get out of the woods and get back to the road, man, you know, and go in the right direction. So I would just say, like, don't give up, like, you know, just don't don't be a stat, you know, like, just reach out. Fuck yeah, man. Well, speaking of reaching out, how can somebody find you? Oh, um, <clears throat> I can be found on Twitter. Uh, I think, uh, I, I don't even know what my ad is. I think it's uh, Gilly the Kid. Uh, yeah. I think that's it. Uh, like Gilly Suit. 
which is a kick-ass name, by the way. I have found <coughs> like I have found like especially having legal issues and and being uh, somebody that was known as one of those dudes that would serve you, you know, and stuff like as far as like online, I, I don't do Facebook, uh, you know, Twitter, my name is anonymous. I don't post photos of myself. Like I don't do any of that. Um, but I will, you know, talk to anybody, you know, that reaches out that, that, you know, needs a friend or needs somebody to talk to, especially regarding, you know, this you know so right on man well like i said thanks a lot i love you bro and uh just for today right yes man thank you for having me and um i, I it's it's been a blessing i was a little bit nervous but uh, it's been uh it's been a blessing and i appreciate what you do as well and um like i said respect uh for you and uh, you do a lot of good work um you know, giving out uh, Narcan and, and, and doing everything that you're involved in. And like, you know, you're somebody that I look up to um, as well. So um, it's, uh, it's been, uh, it's been a pleasure for sure. Right on, man. Well, you have a good night, bro. We'll talk to you later. Okay. Thanks, man. Yep. All right. There you go. Thanks a lot, Gilly, for coming on and hanging out, sharing your story and just being honest and vulnerable. Um, I cherish that conversation. That was a good one. And um, if you're out there in the audience and you're struggling with any kind of mental health stuff on top of, you know, recovery or substance abuse, man, you're not alone. It is very difficult. You are not, you are not somehow, you know, different. You're just, you got a couple barriers in the way, but there are people out here who have those same barriers who are finding a way to live with them and live a fulfilling life. So um, absolutely reach out to either myself or Gilly. You know, you, you have support. And so uh, I just want to thank you guys so much for hanging out, kicking it with me. Uh, and I hope that you guys have a fantastic week, man. Um, song of the day. This is Odd One Out. I found this on Spotify. This was a uh, kind of a little playlist gem that popped up. And this is a song called Whiskey and Cigarettes. And man, it, I, I just vibe with it. And I know you will too, but uh yeah, so I hope you guys, like I said, have a great week. I love you so much. Thanks a lot for tuning in. Big love, and we will see you next week. Your mouth tastes like whiskey and cigarettes. It turns me on more than you know. Your smiles remind me of sunshines And I won't let that go I'm in a war with you and this bottle And if you quit on me now I will lose Even though sometimes I wish that you would just leave me Girl, I
And if it does exist, I know I am going to hell We'll drink and drive, crash and die That's only if things go well Go well Well, your mouth tastes like whiskey and cigarettes It turns me on more than you know Your smiles remind me of sunshine I won't let that go